Welcome to Parenting Vanessa Clones podcast. We have a lot to discuss. It's been a while. Um, I've had to have a little bit of a mini break from just life. Just kidding. Um, just really the podcast and everything else that I'm doing. We are doing um, a teacher research study on self-care and when something happens in the classroom and how it's not personal to you if the child is struggling. So I'm very excited about that. We're partnering with a couple schools and then I have a parenting self-care journal when something comes up in the house and like, how are you taking care of your own mental health as a parent, especially with all these strong little kids coming into this world that, you know, have very, you know, I would say strong personalities, a little alpha little babies coming around. All right. So let's have a, I want to have a discussion regarding, you know, at school starting, I'm already getting calls to do observations in classrooms and I'm already seeing it start early. And I'm happy that like people are waiting sooner rather than later to start calling for these observations to get the child the right help and support they need. And I understand how devastating it is for parents to get that phone call. Oh, so-and-so just hit, so-and-so just did this, so-and-so just did, there's another behavior. I mean, it's just, it's overwhelming to parents, but I just want to put out there that, you know, sometimes if you have a kid that gets overwhelmed easily, 20 to 25 kids in a classroom is a lot. Like that is more of a environmental issue. Yes, the kid has processing issues and maybe it's too much, but also understand that the right environment, you're not going to see those behaviors. And over and over again, I talk about this. Like I've seen kids go, you know, from extreme behaviors and you know, in a classroom or they're hiding or they're doing something in the corners because it's just, they're overstimulated. Now, is it the child, you know, acting out because they want to, or is it just like, oh my God, there's so much to Im- information I have to process and I have to figure out and I just can't do it. And they're five, they're four, they're six, whatever you want to say, the, whatever age they are, it's too much. Then you, you change the environment you're going to see a different kid. I mean, usually I always say my enrollment happens. I know my number for the year in January, because in January I'll have better understanding of who's going to be in my school because by this time, okay, the flags are coming up. This kid is hitting this kid or biting, or I don't even know doing what, not listening to teachers, making things, you know, the classroom a little bit. They just need a little bit more one-on-one support. Now, With that being said, you know, let's look at the environment and understand that, you know, the kids that have, you know, sensory issues or get overstimulated easily, you know, things you want to think about is making sure that you're only giving them two choices that, you know, you're making eye contact, always a touch on the shoulder as you're doing a transition and giving extra time and warnings for that transition to occur. So for example, if it's clean up at nine o'clock, you're going to maybe go to that child beforehand, put your hand on your shoulder and say, okay, in five minutes, we're going to clean up. And then you tell the class, right? Because you also have these kids that hyperfixate on one thing. And so then they can't, they're like, oh, I told them it was time to clean up. I did all this stuff, but they didn't hear you. So then they're going to get in trouble because like they didn't hear it. Then they're thinking, wait, there was no transition. Ah, and then starts throwing things or doing other stuff. Now to me, you know, making sure, you know, safety is the number one thing. So you want to make sure to clear out an area when a child starts to act like that. Cause the other thing that happens is when children start acting out and they have other behaviors coming in or they hit another kid because that kid just happened to be standing right next to them. Again, there's not this malice child that's like complaining on like coming to school. And like I am going to make it a, a horrible day. No, it's really a child that is overstimulated, um, trying to process all this information. And then it's like, there might be a social deficit. So they're trying to figure out what is going on here. 
And with that, that's where you get the child that's going to hit the kid next to them because they're next to them. And then what happens is if the, the three R's that I talk about is the redo, rewind, repair, which is how you teach social emotional learning, how you teach your social skills is that you're going to want to make sure that the repair happens so that the child understands that, okay, that child didn't like it, but they're still friends. A lot of times you'll see that something happens in a classroom that everyone's separated until they're calm and then they never go back to the situation. I'm asking teachers and parents and caregivers to go back to the situation. We do the redo. We see that there's a problem. What do you want the child to do differently? And then we have the rewind where it's like, let's practice the appropriate way or maybe the child even saying, oh, that's too loud. And then you have the repair. How did my action make you feel? Right. And so having the child understand that their behavior has consequences, which is a broken friendship. Now, if that doesn't happen, that child that did the hitting feels bad, goes home and starts thinking about it and thinking about it, which causes anxiety. Imagine us going to a party and then you get in a fight with your partner and you leave, but then coming back into this relationship and how to talk to them is very challenging. So it's the same thing with adults with kids, but we also want to make sure that that repair is happening and taking place. So the child understands that a, their behavior, there is a consequence to their behavior. We're teaching empathy. We're teaching what you want to see correctly because every time we just split up two kids that are fighting, what did we teach? We just taught that you guys should just take a break and you can't play, but we're not teaching actually what they should have done differently. You know, it's always teaching what, what should, what do you want to see differently? What do you want to see the child do? What do you want the child to say? Like, I'm not going to tell a child, well, what should you have said differently? Because they would have known, they would have known what they were going to say differently. And they would have said it. It's not going to be this thing of like, well, so I'm going to spoon feed the child, the language. I'm just going to give them the language. And if they don't repeat it, they don't repeat it. I don't really care. But as you're starting the classroom and as you're starting the, the school year, right? It's really important to understand that there's a lot of kids struggling right now. I mean, I just saw an article saying that kindergarten's conduct behaviors are increased and what's going to happen later on. I do think it's important that teachers, the consistency piece is huge on the follow through. I don't think behaviors are bad. I think it's showing that where the child is emotionally. Also understanding that, you know, even the lighting in a room can cause some, uh, can cause a behavior, just the neon lights alone. I mean, simple things like that can make a difference. And then if you're looking at how you're transitioning, if you're not giving enough time to transition, that's going to cause a behavior. So it's really understanding that child in the classroom that, okay, this this kid is struggling. How do I get the right support? And, and reaching out and talking to the parents to be like, whether it's an occupational therapy, a social skills group, a speech therapist, or call me, um, which I do Zoom all the time. But those are the things that you want to look at to make sure that the child's getting the right support. It's not the child just being malicious and, oh, this kid's going to be a sociopath. No, we're not doing that. We're not going down that road. It's a kid struggling. A lot of times kids that don't want to admit that they don't know, or maybe they don't know that they don't know, which actually most kids know when they don't know because they see other kids and they're like, how come that's easy for them? And then a lot of times if other kids are playing in a group and a child doesn't know how to enter into play, again, that's another skill set. Like how do you approach others in a group setting? Then you have, you know, that issue going on. So then those kids are going to knock all these other kids and hit them and bring them down and think, okay, well, this is how I'm going to play because I don't know how to ask. And again, like if you see that in the classroom and you separate everybody, the kid is just going to keep doing it because he didn't learn a different way. So you have to think about like, okay, what are we teaching? How are we teaching it? And those kids that are struggling, like 
where are the interventions? And it could be that, that that child's in the corner, you know, on the rug. So a little bit away from the group. So there's some distance. Okay. And maybe they need to sit in a chair. Maybe they're not they, like sitting crisscross applesauce is too much for some of these kids. It really is. It's like, you know, and, and I just hired a new teacher. And so one of the kids was laying down and he's trying to get him up and I go, it doesn't matter. As long as he's paying attention, I don't care if he's sitting down, laying down, whatever his body needs, that's what he's going to get. Uh, you know, you've walked in during testing. I might have a kid on like laying on a floor doing something, another kid in a chair, another kid like in a beanbag. I mean, again, like every child's different and how they process and where it makes them comfortable, they're going to do better on testing and do better scores. So really understanding that the child's body's different. So if we're having a kid sit for 15 minutes, that is like ADHD and other stuff. Like they're like, oh my God, that's crazy, crazy town here. So I'm going to act out. But again, there are situations where you can get a fidget. So I'll be upfront with you. Everyone, I know everyone says a fidget, but a lot of times these kids just end up throwing it and hitting you in the head. So, I mean, I don't know. Do find a fidget that actually works, but you want to make sure you're teaching it as a fidget versus just giving it something. And But you want to explain the why. I find with a lot of kids, if you explain the why and what they're doing and helping them understand their own body, they're going to have more of the buy-in to do it. For example... If I give them a squishy, it's like, well, the squishy's to help you to focus and pay attention to how it feels with it and then without it. And we'll do some trial on there. That most likely the child's going to be like, okay, this is what I need to help my body versus getting it, thinking it's fun and throwing it at a teacher, <laughs> which don't get me wrong. It is kind of funny, but not really, but yes. And, you know, understanding that there are kids, like if you're starting to do academics and they're shutting down you know, you have kids that might be overwhelmed by just the presentation of the papers, too much words. I, you know, I have dyslexia myself and with my dyslexia, it's a lot for me to process a whole paper. So I have to break things down. Reading is difficult. Well, actually reading puts me to sleep. So it's a great way for me to fall asleep. So audiobooks are the way I go. Um, it doesn't mean what's right or wrong. Again, this is how everyone learns. Everyone learns differently, but really it comes down to teaching the child how they understand their body. How can they help them focus, but also understanding when you see a kid in that environment that's struggling with 20, 30 kids, it's probably the environment, right? It's, you know, everybody's different in their own way. What's right or wrong? I have no idea, but I will tell you that when you put a kid in a smaller classroom where you have, you know, people that understand how to teach the child that, you know, is his focus is every two seconds going to something else. That's where you want to, you want to put your energy in and not trying to conform to put your kid into this environment where it's always, 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 always getting in trouble when it's too much to do. And I understand there's a lot behind the parents and like, oh, I don't want my kid in like a smaller classroom. They need to be able to learn and they need to be able to watch other people. My thing is this in a smaller classroom, they have to form those relationships. They have to form those bonds because they're not, they're not going to be playing with other people, other kids. It's not like you have a class of 20 and one kid goes to one group and then, oh, they didn't like me. So I'll go to another one the next day. And then they're bouncing around. I mean, are they formulating any friends? I talk to people that have, their kids are like, they don't have friends. They, they don't have a solid person, but when you have a small school and you have to do the three R's all the time and repair, you're learning how to be in a relationship. You're learning how friendships work. You're learning the skill set that you need as you, as a life skill to go into the work world later on or as young teens, you know? So I think the smaller classroom is the way to go and a mixed age group. You know, I have a, I have, you know, a 10 year old coming in, 
and doing running, helping me run groups. I mean, all of that matters and it all comes together, but how do we build the child's self-esteem? You know, putting them in an environment where there's 20 kids and they're the ones struggling, that's just only going to drop. Their self-esteem is only going to get like, yeah, they can manage and they're trying really hard to get through some of the behaviors, but guess what? The end of the day, they see that they're the ones struggling and everyone else gets it. And I'm talking from personal experience. For me, you know, I was that kid that, you know, you can look at me and you would think, oh, she gets it. And you put like five directions. I'll be like, what? Even to this day, if I walk outside and I ask someone for directions, I always tell the person I'm with, make sure you pay attention. Because if they said right, I heard left. No matter what. Directions, forget it. I can't read a map. So this is the one thing that's great with my kids. Because when we go out, reading a map is very difficult for me. So they have to step up and help and take care of me. Again, it's about the relationship and me showing them that I struggle and we're all working on things together. And like, what are they doing to help themselves? And how can they help me and vice versa? So again, like these are things to think about as you have kids that have processing issues or you know, it's just not, you know, the regular cookie cutter stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. But again, it comes down to the parents understanding that, you know, doing what's best for your kid is going to help them later. Even though it might not feel, you know, right to you and, and there might be, okay, how, what did I do wrong as a parent? You did nothing wrong as a parent. Some kids just have it's with it. They process information. It's just how they're wired. It's, you know, I talk to people I'm like, well, do you think it's a parenting issue? No, I have amazing parents that I work with. And there's just some kids that are just wired differently where they're super extra sensitive, um, have a hard time with feedback, you know, um, might, uh, might read the situation differently than most. That's not parenting. But as a parent, it's a responsibility to understand the tools to help your child be successful in life. You know, and that's where the three R's come in. And this is why that the research that I'm doing with teaching with heart is so important because when cl- when things come up in the classroom and it's the same kid over and over again, how are you looking at the situation and not taking it personally? Because a lot of times I go into do consultations and they're always talking about that one kid. There's always that one kid. There's always that that's struggling. And then some teachers are just burnt out. And so how do we work on our own mental health, our burnout, and understand that this is a child struggling and how do we get the right help? Because what it comes down to is early intervention. Early intervention is key into making sure that these kids are getting the right support needed so that they're able to be, you know, part of society down the road and some on some, you know, where they can make friendships. To me, I don't care. Like, I'll be up front. Academics, I'm like, whatever. That's where I have a teacher there. She could do that. I care that the child, you know, is regulating themselves, can hold a relationship, like, have empathy, understand that, that they're thinking of others and they're kind human beings. A lot of times you, you have to teach some of this. You have to understand, they have to understand that their behaviors have consequence. The impulsivity sometimes takes over and then it's like, well, no, he said this and it was this with their friends and they get stuck in like this black or white thinking when there's also gray areas. So starting younger is better to help, but at any age it's important to start bringing in these skills and interventions to help the child learn and learn how to be a friend and learn how to be a student and do all these things. But again, if you're seeing a kid that's, you know, it gets too loud, you know, get some headphones in the classroom, but also like that kid doesn't want to stand out. So get a bunch of headphones in the classroom and make it a game and have everyone, you know, put on their headphones. I remember one of my kids would like refuse to wear glasses and she really needed to. So we ordered a bunch of glasses for all the kids and we had glasses day and that's how we introduced her as wearing glasses. That worked. 
You have to be creative in the sense of like, how do we, you know, not have a child feel like they're standing out because then they feel shame and then they feel embarrassed and that stays with them. So again, it's like looking at the bigger picture of like, okay, this kid has a sensory issue. This kid doesn't, but like, I don't know, maybe they both can sit in that chair during morning meeting. They can have their own thing. It doesn't matter. But we want to look at ways to include everybody in it. So there's more diversity in there. You're including everybody in there. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know if actually was a word, but you know what I mean. Inclusivity. Yeah, thank you very much, Vanessa. Wrong word. But, you know, as somebody that was, that struggled and I hated school. I feel like it's my karma that I had, a, that I, of course I started a school and I had to go back and like redo and reteach all these grades. Cause you know, I don't even know what I did. I graduated high school with like a 1.87 and I don't, I talked my way through anything and anything. So I'm that person you'd want to take to a party cause I could have fun, but I also like to be by myself too. But you know, um, I know how to fake it to make it. And I don't want any kid to have to do that. And to me, that just sticks with you later. And then you have to go back because as time goes on, even with social skills, you know, as you get older, it's harder to fill in those gaps. It's harder to, you know, show as a teenager that like, okay, yeah, I don't know how to do that. And I don't want to show that I don't know it. So then that's where masking comes in, especially with girls. Girls is the highest number where they're going to walk in and be like, okay, what is everybody else doing? So that I'm just going to mask and act like everybody else that's what they're doing. So it starts young. You know, even just the other day I was at a school and I could see that the kid was doing his way of playing. And then he started watching others and he's like, Oh, well, that's what they're doing, which is a great imitation skill. But I also don't know, did he do that to copy? Is he doing it other things? So then I have to start looking at other situations. I'm like, is he copying on that piece? Cause he was doing it the correct way. But then once he realized that other people were doing it differently, which wasn't the correct way, he started copying. So is that a confidence issue? Is that he not, is he not sure? So again, like there's a lot of things you have to look at when you're seeing kids in different environments and what they're doing. I don't know. This is, you know, we're back on my podcast, but just understand that the environment has a huge role in children and how they're learning and what they're, and And sometimes it's not the right environment, but it doesn't mean that these are the behaviors are going to keep going. But once you get the interventions and understanding that, you know, there are, there are different avenues and there are different schools and there's different education and kids live differently. And how amazing that is that we've come so far because when I was younger that we didn't have this. So I hope this helps and thank you for listening and we'll be back next week.